In our debate, uh, we are going to concentrate on a number of issues, uh, non-exhaustive, for instance, we should talk about uh, the, uh, what uh, the, the Central European countries, especially Central European countries, can do to help Ukraine. What we experience uh, today, we are like defending ourselves against tyranny, craving to destroy everything that freedom gives to people and states. And such a struggle for freedom and against tyranny is quite comprehensible in, for any society in any corner of our planet. Let me say that I think this, this war is existential. And existential in the sense that the rules-based order upon which the democratic world was built on post-World War II is right now facing a choice. We either win this war and prevail in Ukraine and give Ukraine what it needs to win the war, or we face a future unlike anything I think we could have ever imagined. One where autocracy beats democracy, where might makes right, where nuclear proliferation becomes common and nuclear bullies get to dictate the terms of peace. So we need to keep re-upping our personal involvement. And our personal involvement, from my perspective, comes in multiple pieces. First, we need to continue to urge our elected officials. We live in democracies. We need to let them know as citizens of democracies that we insist that they provide more military support to Ukraine, more financial support to Ukraine, and they do it urgently. Second, as individuals, we need to pay attention to what the business community is doing in Russia. And here, I believe very strongly that we need to do everything possible to isolate the Russian economy. Isolating the Russian economy has to do with, yes, sanctions, sanctions from the EU, sanctions from the United States and other democracies globally, which can be much broader, much deeper, much more all-inclusive than they are today. But also self-sanctioning on the part of businesses who are today continuing to operate in Russia, continuing to pay taxes, Those taxes are paying the salaries of the war criminals. And when we see a company like Metro of Germany or Mondelez in the United States that continues to do business there, we need to boycott the products and the services of those businesses. We as consumers, as investors, as shareholders need to say that that is not what we expect of stakeholder capitalism in the 21st century. That is not acceptable. From my perspective, uh, Ukraine-Russia or Russia-Ukraine war has already changed the world and the world will never be the same. I think it has split the world into we and they. And I think that we is Western civilization. I think that we is um, uh, people, nations, societies, countries that are basing their their views on, on real values uh, that are basing their views on, on human rights, on a rule of law, on democracy, on economic freedoms. And uh, they are they uh, that are uh, right now fighting this barbaric, uh, bloody war on our territory. And I think that we right now are um, all uh, making this particular choice where we are, on which side, uh, whether we are together with evil or we will not let this evil to go further. We have to understand that whatever uh, 
Russian territory is called, are either Tsarist Russia or USSR or Russian Federation, it always produces uh, despotism, it always uh, produces dictatorship, and it always is trying to fight um, conquering wars that has been done over the uh, over the centuries. And therefore, I think we all have to make some lessons learned and understand that the policy of appeasement, policy of trying to uh, make more trade with Russian Federation after the end of um, world uh, of the Cold War, believing that this more trade will change the Russian Federation, have made, made a serious mistake. And right now, it's important that we all understand that Karfagen has to be destroyed. Not necessarily physically, I'm not calling on that. I am calling on Russia being destroyed economically. And that particular gas station, as um, uh, which pretends to be the state, uh, has to be left without resources in order not to try to repeat uh, yet again the war, not necessarily exclusively against Ukraine, but against other countries of the Central Europe, against other countries of the uh, Central Asia, and so on. I come from a family business which is running a port. And uh, on the second day of war, I started doing logistics, something that I do the best. And we opened um, a humanitarian center in uh, Helm in Poland, and one more in Lublin, and one more in Romania. And um, so I can say that uh, I'm, I'm, I'm feeling the pulse of uh, most of humanitarian aid that, that comes to Ukraine. For the last month, I've, I've tried to uh, realize how these international organizations work and how they operate. Uh, the UNICEF, the Red Cross, the World Food Program, the USAID, and I must say I am in a total um, disappointment with the situation that I, that I faced because uh, normally these organizations, they operate in an environment where there is no current running government when the government is, is either a conflicted regime or a military government, doesn't matter. We currently have a, an existing government that is doing its job. We have all the ministers, we have the, all the verticals working. And with all the help they get from the state, they still fail to, to provide um, serious amounts of humanitarian aid. And then the reason why I'm saying this is that, you know, after maybe six, eight weeks after the beginning of war, a lot of donations of humanitarian aid were coming from physical people and individuals and corporations from all over the world. They have done one, two, three, four shipments, maybe. And then obviously their resources are exhausted. And the large organizations, large multinational humanitarian organizations should be stepping in at this time. And they are not because they are super bureaucratic. They have a coordinator for another two coordinators to coordinate something that doesn't need any coordination. And it's been a very frustrating experience. So my goal on this panel is to, to raise awareness about those humanitarian organizations and try to get as much uh, pressure towards them as possible and, 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 and tell them to stop talking and finally start acting and providing aid where it's needed. If you build a, a glass factory to produce uh, you know, windows, uh, that would be a social entrepreneurship and a great business model at the same time. And anything in rebuilding, in rebuilding and reconstruction, 
would make a lot of sense, like uh, um, brick producing, you know, uh, gas, baton, and several things that are no that are now very scarce and huge demand and the prices are going up. So if you'd work together with EBRD, uh, for one one of the things that you could do is go to the current Polish and, for example, Turkish glass producers and try and get their extension of their production units uh, with the EBRD funding to match the Ukrainian demand, but also get a um, um, get a cost structure where it will be totally transparent and there will be no speculation. And you know that one meter of uh, glass would cost X and not more. So that would be something with the, yeah, I'm pretty sure with governmental guarantees and with, uh, with a huge social impact. What kind of the world we're uh, looking for after, after the Ukraine's victory, after, after this war. What kind of world we are looking for? What Ukraine can bring to this world? So Ukraine can obviously bring, uh, among other issues, a very interesting thing, which is a highly decentralized spirit of Ukrainian society. And uh, uh, it's really incredible to see how these horizontal networks are now functioning. Why Ukrainians are so successful in this volunteer, volunteer and horizontal movement? Because it is kind of uh, inscribed into Ukrainian political tradition. And I'm, as a philosopher, I'm doing a lot of, uh, a lot of work. I'm trying to do a lot of work to explain this political culture to the world. Because it was, of course, overlooked over the past centuries or decades. It was erased by, by certain imperial narrative, Russian imperial narrative, which was saying that all which is Eastern Europe is, is Russia. So if you look at the even 19th century discourse, the concept of Eastern Europe was equalized with the concept of Russian Empire. Ukrainians are showing that another Eastern Europe is possible. Maybe that another Europe is possible also. This is a, a bottom-up Europe. This is a Europe of uh, communities of what we call Hromadas in Ukrainian. So this, is, uh, this also leads us to the question, who is more efficient in this 21st century global economy? Is it a, a big multinational bureaucratic structures or is it something that has a very, uh, very important grassroots connection and has a bottom-up uh, culture of communication and horizontal ties? So this is my first question. What is Ukraine? The question of Ukraine. And this is a question not only for Ukrainians, but also for the whole Europe, for the whole world, because it is not only about ethnicity, it is not only about language and culture. These are very important topics. And I can say you that uh, Ukrainian culture is incredibly interesting and incredibly vibrant, but it is also about a specific political culture, which uh, can provide recipes not only for, uh, for Eastern Europe, but also for other countries as well. The second question which I would, would like to raise is what is Russia? And here we also have a misunderstanding, I think. Russia has been perceived as a nation state for many centuries. It has never been a nation state. The very idea of Russian statehood comes from in the late uh, 15th century from the idea that it is taking over, over the empire, the Byzantine empire. So Russia has never been a nation state. And that means it has always been an empire. And empire means that you never see your borders and you never see, uh, you, you only depend on the center, you never see on the borders. So Ukraine is a country which clearly sees its borders and which has no center because its center is everywhere. 
Russia is a country that doesn't see its borders, but it, it is dependent on, 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 its, on its center. And it's important to realize that European history in the 20th century was a history of collapse of the empires. Uh, Central Europe has emerged, as we all know, from the, uh, from the collapse primarily of the Habsburg Empire, partially of the German imperialism, the, the Second Empire and the Third Empire. But we overlook that uh, there is a, an empire which still exists in Europe, and this is the Russian Empire. The difference compared to maritime empires to which Europe has been accustomed to is very big because continental empires like Russia proceeds not only through colonization, but also through assimilation. Therefore, Russian key narrative is that Ukrainians do not exist. And the last issue which I would like to raise is the issue of, uh, of moral, morality and of evil and of good. Because we all, all often ask a question, how is that possible? How all those things which are described by uh, Yulia Ivana and Natalia, how, we, how they are all possible in the 21st century? My answer as a philosopher is why we think the 21st century is better than 20th century or the 19th century or the 15th century. We always face with the... With, with coming back of evil. And the problem is that in Eastern Europe, this evil was never condemned. It was condemned in the Western Europe and in Central Europe with the slogan, never, never again. It was not condemned in Eastern Europe. Therefore, when we try to uh, describe today's Russia, we talk about fascism, we talk about new Nazism, etc. But we need to understand that this culture of violence, which is now in today's Russia, is coming back centuries and centuries deep, deep in history. We don't understand Putinism without Stalinism. We don't understand Stalinism without uh, Russian Empire. We don't understand Russian Empire of the 19th century without Peter I and Catherine II, etc., etc. So I think we really uh, should understand this and, and really should uh, all the global community should strive to put an end to this last empire in Europe. In this discussion, we need to thank... Uh, or send big thanks to all the fighters and people in Ukraine uh, because uh, those are the ones uh, in the front line. Um, and we can only discuss uh, how to help, how to support them, but uh, uh, they're the ones fighting for, uh, for themselves, for their freedom and uh, for our future, for our common future. Mm -hmm.